I want to talk tonight about fighting the good fight of faith. I think it's a very important topic for the body of Christ. Um, so you may want to take notes for this or listen to it again. Uh, it's very important uh, that we know this. It's extremely important that we know this. How to fight the good fight of faith. All of us at one time or another are going to face battles, uh, spiritual battles. And I'm sure there are people here tonight or perhaps watching on live stream that are facing them. Uh, people face battles for their health, for their finances, uh, relationships. Uh, perhaps people are battling addictions. Uh, these are really big ones that are very common in the body of Christ. And sooner or later in people's lives, they're faced with issues like this. And what you don't want to do is face them before, uh, when, uh, when they come and not know how to handle them should they come. You should be prepared ahead of time, far ahead of time, to know how to fight the good fight of faith. And if you're just doing so well, then you want to fight the good fight of faith for somebody else too. Amen? It tells us here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, uh, fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on eternal life to which you were called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. More than likely, this last part has to refer to their water baptism when they gave their confession before many witnesses as they entered the waters of baptism. We're having a water baptism in a couple weeks. Um, and uh, yeah, they gave their good confession. But notice what the Apostle Paul here says is, is that we fight the good fight of faith. Uh, it's a good fight because of our stance with Father God. It's in the spirit realm, and it's a stance of righteousness and right standing with the Father. It's good to know because of Jesus, I don't have to talk God into things. He's now become my Father, and I'm in right standing with Him because of Jesus and nothing I could do to add to it. Uh, it's also a good fight because it's the fight we win. That's an old expression. A good fight is when you win. And um, what's important for us to know, this side of heaven, we are fighting a winning battle, not a losing battle. What do I mean by that? A good picture is, because I'm a history nut, think of uh, Berlin in World War II. The Russian army is coming from the east. The allies are coming from the west. Berlin is in the middle. Berlin is fighting a losing battle. It's a matter of time. But the allies are fighting a winning battle. It's a matter of time. Amen. We are fighting the winning battle because of Jesus' empty grave and what He's done on the cross for us. And His victory becomes my victory. This is something we have to think like this. Uh, so how do we fight a good fight of faith? Well, first of all, we need to realize this side of heaven, you live in a war zone. Some Christians, the way they live, they think nothing ever wrong is going to uh, be confronted in their lives. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is not Christianity. This side of heaven, you live in a war zone, and you have an enemy who does not want you to walk in the covenant blessings that belong to us. Because there's a huge difference between our state and our standing. Um, that's a whole separate teaching, but basically, you know, if you look at God's Word, you have all those promises that are yours. That's your standing before Christ. They're yours. But the state we live in from day to day, we might see none of those come to pass unless we exercise our faith in God's Word. We have right as Americans, constitutional rights, civil rights, 
And I want people to know if you don't enforce your rights, people can walk all over them. That's why you have a court system to protect your rights, the standing you have from day to day. As believers, we have all these promises of God for us, but that's our standing. What we see day to day will depend on are we putting our faith in what God says and speaking it out of our mouths? What are we doing with the promises of God's Word? It's not magic that He just makes it happen. It tells us in the Word of God that He uh, is a rewarder of those who extend faith towards Him. A very important key. Um, so we always want to stand on what Jesus has accomplished for you and me. And we don't want to see the, the evil one, the enemy, take it away from us. Um, when our lives and times are violated and things are not in harmony with what He has promised us in His Word, what Jesus has accomplished for us, uh, we need to exercise the victory that Christ has already obtained for us on the cross that he defeated the devil's dominion of darkness. The devil doesn't have a kingdom. He has a dominion, the Word tells us. He has a dominion of darkness, and as long as we're in this physical body, before the second coming of Christ, there is a war that we're in. Again, the Berlin concept, but we fight the winning battle because of Christ. But take heart that Christ has already declared at the cross the war cry, it is finished. And that, it, it is finished means a lot of things. One aspect of it, um, because you have to remember at that cross, there were, there were, there were, uh, I almost said Russian. Duh. There were, there were, no Russians, there were Roman soldiers at the foot of that cross. And when he said it is finished to them, they understood something probably very different than anybody else understood. Because when the Roman general was in battle, he would be on a high hill watching the battle take place. And when he knew his army was winning, I don't know if they did this by a trumpet or they had a guy with a loud mouth, I don't know. But they cried out, it is finished. Which meant to the soldiers, we already won. Now it's just time to mop up and finish. We won. The, Rush, the, Russian, the Roman soldier <laughs> understood that. Uh, and Jesus saying that declares that we have now the mopping up in every generation afterwards. In our own generation, we enforce the victory of Christ. It is finished. And we fight the good fight of faith that He's prepared for us. My experience, though, in the years I've been a pastor, in more than 30 years, uh, I've been in church ministry, and I've seen that people need to be constantly reminded of this. Uh, they get amnesia. I don't know why but they got to be constantly reminded of this because the two most common misconceptions and errors is, number one, is that people are expecting either God to do this for them or the church to do this for them. Both are mistakes. Let me give you examples. Number one, the misconception, well, why can't God do this for me? Why do I have to uh, fight this good fight of faith? Unfortunately, so many Christians out there do not have a biblical understanding of Christianity. They have a religious understanding of Christianity and a distorted, non-biblical understanding of Christianity. They see a God of magic. I got this, says God. Poof, you're going to be just fine. Where's faith on your part? Where's speaking the word out of your mouth on your part? If that's what it is, I'll just sit back and do nothing. He's got this, right? That is not what the Bible teaches. Let's take a look at this. If, I, this is a shock to some people. Let's take a look at this. In Ephesians chapter 14, 
Wrong. Exodus chapter 14, different part of the Bible. Uh, we have Moses at the Red Sea. Moses is starting to whine and cry. Uh, Egyptian army. Now, it's, they're not on top of them. Unfortunately, whenever you think of Moses at the Red Sea, you think of Cecil B. DeMille's, Charlton Heston, the Ten Commandments. And a lot of that is not really how it happened. Uh, they weren't on top of them. They were probably days away, but they could see them coming. And um, because if you have to, what well, the Scripture shows us here uh, in the verses 21 and 22 of Exodus 14, that a mighty wind came and split the Red Sea overnight. This took hours to happen. Not in the movies, poof, it happens, and they all walk, look at the water around them. That is not the way things worked. Considering you have a million people crossing on dry ground, it's about a space of a mile and a half long, or in width, I should say. So this is not what the, you know, the movies show us. So, but anyway, somehow they saw them coming, and he panics, and he's expecting God to do something. But look at this. In Exodus chapter 14, verse 15 and 16, and the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Wow. Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Verse 16, but lift up your rod, the staff he has, and stretch it out over, uh, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Moses had to do something. Moses had to act in the authority God gave him. God wouldn't do it for him. He had to do something in faith to respond to the authority God already gave him. So do we. In, uh, with Jesus in Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 4, uh, which we'll look at in a few minutes, Jesus does the same thing. He does something with the Word of God. Here in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, it tells us that we have been given authority to act in His name. That's an amazing thought, authority to act in His name. We do something. God's not doing it for us. And the second misconception is, is that people are expecting other people to do this for them. Too many people out there live vicariously through their pastor or through their church. In other words, they expect their Christian walk to find victory because other people are going to pray for them, or their pastor will lay hands on them. And it's the same magic concept. Now, God certainly can use the people there that, are, that He has, the ministry gift He has placed in these men and women. He certainly can answer the prayers of the body of Christ, but they're expecting other people to do it for them. Um, we need to uh, ask in prayer, but too often others want you to walk for them in faith. We can't do that. It can't happen. Yes, people can pray for you, but how long can other people carry you? When do you walk on your own two feet with the Lord, right? When do you stop changing Junior's, uh, stop tying Junior's shoes, or otherwise he's going to fall down his face until he learns to tie it for himself? No different with us. We're expected to do what the Lord has already given us the authority to do. That's a whole other sermon. But tonight we're looking at standing on His Word, and that I can do for myself personally. So how do we fight the good fight of faith? I'm glad you asked. I know you're real quiet, but I'm glad you asked. Well, you may want to take some note paper out for this, and don't forget these things. 
Number one here is we need to go to the Scripture that speaks the promise of God's Word about what you're dealing with, and then go war with it. Go find the Scripture that speaks against or speaks God's favor for you in what you're being attacked by, and that you take to war. Let's see Jesus do that. He's our model, right? He said, you'll do greater works. It's like, watch, look at him, do the same. So here we have Matthew chapter 4 in verse 1. We're going to go through verse 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterwards he was hungry. No surprise. I've been told that real hunger starts at 40 days. Real genuine hunger, where if you don't eat, you die. I've been told. Anyway, um, and when he had, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. This is Jesus now, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the, on, took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Wow, set him up. That's pretty wild stuff. And said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, wow, the devil quotes scripture. How about that? For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, and Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Uh, Verse 8, then the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory and said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. I saw one Jesus movie a long time ago. I only want to get got this right. All of a sudden, the devil's gone, and all these guys in white gowns are walking up and serving him. I thought that was really cool. You know, the angels came and ministered to him. I thought it was a really cool thing. So we see here in verses 4, 7, and 10, he says, it is written. It is written. It is written. And what Jesus is doing here, he is warring with the Word of God against the enemy's attack that is before him. The temptation, in this case, that's before him. And he's coming against the enemy with the Word of God, speaking it out of his mouth, finding the promise of God's Word that speaks the opposite of what the enemy is trying to do and attacks him with the Word of God. So what we do here is we find Scripture that addresses the challenge before us, and we use it against the evil one just like Jesus did. We should never agree with the devil's will and plans for our lives. There is no quesera sera in the kingdom of God, okay? Those who are old enough to know what that means, okay? If if you're not, I don't care. Uh, We should never have that attitude, well, things happen. Never tolerate what Jesus has redeemed you from. So why do we go to the Word? Because when you go to the Word of God, and find His Word on a subject, you have found His will. And when you have found His will, you have found that He has given you the authority to use it. 
Well, you never know the will of God. Yes, you do. Open up your Bible and find it. This is his revealed will to us. And what we need to know, he's told us. What we don't need to know, who cares? We don't need to know. What he's told us, we need to know. And what we need to know, we need to have on our lips because it's all that matters. So when we find his word on a topic, we have found the will of God on the topic, and we need to use it. We need to learn to agree with Father God. That's all that matters. More than what I see, more than what I feel. It's got to hold a higher place in my heart, or I will not live a victorious Christian life. And people can't live it for you. Now, two things you can never do with the Word of God regarding the Word, using the Word of God. You can never use it to justify sin. I know a true story of a lady who had a friend. Supposedly, this friend was a Christian. And this friend, I don't know, she got tired of her husband. She picked up a a boyfriend. And she confronted her and says, you can't do this. You can't live like this. And the lady's answer, well, I'm standing on God's Word, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. She said, read the rest of the chapter. So into the Spirit is life, so into the flesh is death. You can't use the Word of God to justify sin. Another thing you can never use the Word of God is to change someone else's will or to conform their will to yours. I want so-and-so to marry me. I'm asking you, Lord, because it would be the desire of my heart. And you want to give me the desires of your heart because your word says you can't do that. That's the epitome of witchcraft, trying to conform someone's will to you or try to control someone. That's witchcraft. You cannot use the word of God for that ever. So that was free. Just want to mention that. Uh, So when we found the word of God on a topic, we go in war with it. Now, Number two here is, after you found that Scripture and you go to prayer, you make your stand. Now, let's say you're having an example. Let's say you're having gastric problems, stomach, intestines, whatever. Uh, you have a Word of God specifically for that. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 25, it's not on your screen, but that's a good, that's a good Scripture to write down. Exodus 20, 23, verse 25. And it says, You shall serve the Lord your God, and He will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. That's God's Word on your food and your water and your gastric system. You want to really pray over your food? You stare at it and point to it. I call you holy and clean unto my body in the name of Jesus, because my bread is blessed and my water is blessed, and sickness is removed from my midst. That's praying over your food, declaring the will of God over your food. And kind of some of the stuff we eat today, you need to do that. Praise God. So, Jesus here again, Mark chapter 11, verses 22 to 25. And Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Assuredly, I tell you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart. You can doubt in your heads. Don't doubt in your heart. But believes that those things which he says will be done, and he will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask, when you pray, believe you have received them, and you will have them. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them that your Father in heaven may also forgive you and your trespass. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven for you forgive your trespass. How about that? Forgiveness is tied to answered prayer. 
whoa. Let you think about that for a while. Whoa. But here we have Jesus telling us here, have faith in God and speak forth and believe you received it before you see it. So you go to prayer with this, which means you pray in faith, believing in an answer that you do not see. Yet you believe a God's promises are greater than what you see. We don't beg God. Begging God will get you nowhere. He's not moved by needs. He's moved by faith. Amen. That's shocking to some people. If God was moved by needs, there would be no needs. There are so many needs. He's moved by faith. Bringing his word back to him and stating you're in agreement with what he says, and that's in your heart higher than what you're experiencing. Therefore, what you're experiencing is not in harmony with God's Word, and it must change. So, number three here, after you pray, you stand. That means you hold your ground, kind of a military expression. You hold your ground, and you don't budge. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses, uh, I'm going to use 11, 13, and 14. It's a long chapter. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not, verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, now these are rankings of the demonic in the, in the heavenlies, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. Verse 14, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. And you have people always ask the question, well, how long do I have to stand? You stand till you, what you see changes. That's how long you stand. You stand to what you see changes. You stand to what you see agrees with the Word of God. Uh, very important scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, when we consider all this. Therefore, do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet our inward man is being renewed day by day. For this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly eternal weight of glory. While we do not look, while we do not look, while we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, the things we're believing for. For the things that which are seen are temporary, and the things which are not seen are eternal. That means if you see it, it is subject to change. If you see it, it's subject to change because of your faith in God's Word calling down on the Spirit of God to bring change. However, most are moved by what they see. I prayed and nothing changed. Keep standing. But it got worse. Keep standing. I'm growing tired. Keep standing. As long as you've got breath in your nostrils, keep standing. And the Lord is smiling. Another scripture to consider here is Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, 
And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Sickness, lack of finances, inharmonious family relations of, should bow. Of those in the heaven, those on the earth, and those under the earth. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is Lord. And at the name of Jesus, all should bow. I remember many years back, I know you don't, many, many years back in the early 80s at the Healy prayer meeting, uh, Maureen had a prophecy. And the only thing I remember from it was one sentence. Did you thank God today that Jesus is Lord over your body? I never forgot that. That was like bullet right through me forever remembered. And it wasn't ouch, it was welcomed. I daily say, Jesus is Lord over my body. Therefore, if something in my body does not agree with His Lordship, you got to change and conform to Jesus' Lordship. I have been saying that since the early 80s, and I have never, ever, ever forgotten that. It is a daily out of my mouth. Every day, Jesus, you are Lord over my body. Bodily systems, every one of you, you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus Christ in my body and conform to His Lordship. Divine health enters my life today. Divine life enters my life today. And I don't just say it, I believe it. Amen. And it'll never depart from my mouth. Why? Because I believe in this Scripture, it is exactly what it says. Every knee shall bow. Every bodily system shall bow and declare His Lordship. And obviously, where His Lordship is, there is not sickness and disease. Where His Lordship is, there is not suffering for anything that He missed at the cross and didn't get right. All victory that He did at the cross is mine. And I intend to enforce it because I don't want the evil one taking away my rights. I want my standing pulled down into my state where I live. I take that real, real serious. And it's one of those things where you have no words. As soon as it was said, you get full understanding in your head what to do. It's like if I say the word bicycle, you don't have to tell me anything. You've got volumes in your head that you could write about bicycle. There's no, there's no thinking involved. As soon as that was said, it was full understanding. You will live this way. You're going to say this for the rest of your life. And I believe it. Uh, so, how do I stand then? I got five simple steps if you're writing them down. These are real simple. Number one, what I just did really, you need to speak to the obstacle. Jesus spoke to the evil one. Moses spoke to the, uh, to the sea. Uh, you need to learn to speak the Word of God over your circumstances. This is how you stand in fighting the good fight of faith. You open your mouth and do something with the Word of God. Uh, the Word is the solution. We've got to stop speaking the problems. How many times have you met people and they'll tell you more about the disease that they have than the solution of God's Word? I hate that. I hate crepe. No, I don't hate. I dislike crepe hangers. I can't stand it. All they want to do is tell you about all the problems in their life. They never say one word about what God—these are believers—not one word about what God has done for them. Not one word. Oh, but Jesus loves me. You might hear that, but that's about it. Something's really wrong there. You know, we, now we don't need to beg God, but we need to speak the Word of God. 
You know, too often we're waiting for God to do something, healing, financial restoration, but in reality, He's waiting for us to take the initiative to speak His Word in faith. It's the Word spoken in faith that changes things. But this runs, I'll say this a little later, this runs so cross-grained to the way we have been trained in America, uh, most of the world, the way we've been trained and how we've been brought up. This runs cross-grained to our thinking. But yet it's something when we become a believer, we need to change how we think. Because the way we think does not conform to the Word of God. My thinking has to change to what God's Word tells me, and I have to start to change how I think. It doesn't happen overnight, but I'm working at it. We need to be working at it. So, we need to speak to the obstacle, the answer, the Word of God. Second, we need to speak and keep up thanksgiving and worship. As we're speaking the Word of God, we need to all day long be in thanksgiving. We need to all day long be in worship unto the Lord. It's got to be part of your lifestyle, how you, how you live your life. If you're not a worshiper, you're still in Christianity 101 here. You haven't got there yet. <laughs> you need, it's normal for a believer to be a worshiper. It's normal. You don't have to be a musician. You don't have to have a nice voice. I never forgot one time. I was... I don't know how old I was. Might have been 17. I was in Roman Catholic Church, had mass. They were singing some songs. They sing hymns. And there was this adult, I don't know if he was mentally retarded, this adult mentally retarded man, older in life, with his elderly mother, and he sang like chalk, uh, a finger on a chalkboard coming down the wall. He that was awful. He was off-key. He was irritating. People were giving him dirty looks, like, why don't you tell this guy to shut up? And I said, boy, that's irritating. And I instantly heard, I like what I hear. He was worshiping from it. And his face was so intense in how he sang. The Lord liked what he heard. And that's something. So who cares what people think about you, how you worship? It doesn't matter what they think. It matters that we be a people that are thankful and constantly living daily a life of worship. It doesn't have to be hours a day. That's, that's personal stuff. But all day long, I'm going to be thankful. All day long. If you heard me talk, you would think I was out of my mind. Hey, the Lord is always good. Man, His loving kindness is, lasts forever. Uh, what is this guy talking about? I do that all day long. All day long, i got a silly song on my lips. Probably some Christian song I heard in the 1970s. Nobody remembers anymore. I don't know. I like it, so I'll sing it. But we should constantly have thanksgiving and worship on our lips. Number three here, we need to guard our mind and our mouth. This is real serious because it tells us in the Scriptures through faith and patience we inherit the promises in Hebrews. There's that patience part, which is T-I-M-E, and that's difficult. In that time period, we have got to guard our mind and our mouth. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verses 3 to 5 here, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't war according to the flesh. Of course, he's talking about a spiritual warfare. Verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, that is of the physical body, are not carnal, but in mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought, every thought, good and bad, how about that, every thought into captivity, 
to the obedience of Christ. See, God works in, for, through us the inside out. We try to always help people, it's usually from the outside in, but He works from the inside out. So we need to remember between prayer of faith and the manifestation of that prayer in the faith battle that we face, this fight, it's a fight that takes time, and the mind is the battle arena where this contest takes place. Uh, we notice that it says you're casting down reasonings in another translation. Casting down reasonings. Reasonings is something that needs to be cast down by us because reasoning is of the natural, rational mind. And your rational mind will tell you every reason why believing for healing isn't going to work. Faith, belief is foolishness to the rational, reasoning mind. The mind is filled, our minds, with the culture that we were raised in, and it will fight against you because the culture we were raised in is not a faith-filled culture. You weren't raised from day one to be a believer. You could have a Christian home, don't get me wrong. But coming at you every day isn't a believer stuff. From Sesame Street, Sesame Street, how can you talk like that? Sesame Street? Let me tell you about Sesame Street. Sesame Street shows a child in his neighborhood, right? You will have never, ever, ever seen a scene on Sesame Street in their neighborhood of a family going to church. Why? Because it's not in the socialist mindset from where that came from. That's why. They just ignore it. And when you ignore it, it doesn't enter the child's mind. We had a lady here who came to our Bible school. She was Roman Catholic, and she taught catechism at her church. She's gone home to be with the Lord, and she taught uh, kindergarten, I think. And she had a, a kindergarten class in September. They go with the school schedule. Or was it first grade? Maybe first grade. And um, so they, they move in seasons. So she says, boys and girls, December's coming up. You know whose birthday that's going to be? Kids are looking at her. Jesus! And this little kid goes, who's he? She nearly fainted. This is a Roman Catholic church. A six-year-old kid never heard the name of Jesus. Why? It was never in his home. That's why. They must have expected, well, that's what the church is supposed to do to teach him. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. Wow, 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 wow. We have a culture that will not instill faith in us. That's my point. From little to adult, it'll fight against you. The education you received will not fill you with faith. People you speak to every day, maybe unless you work at the church office, but people who you speak to every day are not going to fill you with faith-filled words. All they know is their five senses and how to complain. People will ask you for prayer because they believe the battle's in the mind, but you can't help them because it's something they have to do personally to walk with God, but they don't want to. Uh, the devil's greatest obstacles, the only he throws at us, the only he has, is fear, doubt, and discouragement. All battle weapons of the mind to bring us down. But God never comes against us. You know this, what a message of fear, never. His word always tells us what? Fear not. He wants us to believe him and to speak out of our mouths what we believe. Amen? Amen. So, 
we need to fill our mind with encouragement, not discouragement. And that encouragement has got to come through the Word of God. We don't want to dwell on the enemy's lies of discouragement. Fear and doubt, it's a battle. We all fight the good fight of faith, and the mind is the battlefield. It's a battle for your faith. It's a battle uh, that we fight the good fight of faith. So, let me just remember here what I just said. We speak to the obstacles. We have thanksgiving and worship. We guard our mind and our mouth. And kind of the next one is the same thing. Number four, we watch our confession and our conversation. Confession means say the same as. When we agree with God's Word and speak it out of our mouth, this is the confession of our faith. How do you talk to people from day to day? What comes out of your mouth in conversation? Not necessarily the same thing, but it should be. We want our confession to line up with our conversation. I remember I knew a lady. She was a believer, and she was battling a, a form of cancer. And um, if you talk to her, she would say, I'm standing on by his stripes. I am healed. Jesus is my healer. Oh, she knew what to say to other Christians. But when her family called her on the phone, she loved pity. And they were saying, how are you doing today? I'm dying. I don't know how much longer this is going to last. Oh, I'm never going to see my family again. That conversation does not line up with Jesus is my healer. In fact, it battles against Jesus is my healer and shows you nothing but religious. And she died. Her conversation and her uh, conversation and confession did not line up. We need to get this that our tongues, our mouths are so important. Speaking is the vehicle that faith travels from the spirit realm into the natural realm. Because you have the legal authority here on terra firma. You have the legal authority over your own life, and so does the enemy have authority over you as long as your body is physically here. That's why the word mortal means death doomed. Our full redemption comes at the resurrection with a glorified body. But we can overcome by the blood of Jesus. But we have authority over our own lives. Other people can't do that for you. The authority is spoken in the spirit realm by your mouth. So our mouth is a uh, spiritual sower of seed. We, uh, we have to operate in these spirit realm rules, if you would, not natural realm rules to get spirit realm results. It's not going to work. The spirit realm has rules that yield spirit realm results. It's just like you don't play football with baseball rules. It won't work. Now, the spirit realm has its own rules, and in the natural the, rash, the rational mind is always going to say, I want to see it first before I'll believe it. But in the spirit realm, I believe it before I see it. What we say matters everything. How we live our lives, what we speak matters everything. Because, you know, you're only going to speak out of your mouth what you really do believe in your heart. You know, what does somebody believe? Just listen to them talk and you'll find out real quick. Very easy to find out. Not that be a judge or, or a nudge. Or that. I know what's in your heart. Not that kind of stuff. But you know where people are at. You just know where they're at. And, and honestly, for too many believers, the Word of God is not first. They haven't learned yet to transform their minds. They haven't learned yet to fight the good fight of faith. And this is really serious stuff. Number five here, very simple. After all is said and done, stand. 
Ephesians chapter uh, 6, verse 14, 13 and 14, having all done, having done all to stand, stand therefore. And what I had mentioned before, Hebrews chapter 6, verses 11 and 12, and we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you not become sluggish, but imitators of those through faith and patience inherit the promises. Through faith and patience, you never, ever give up. Never, ever, ever give up. And the Lord is pleased because you never, ever give up. Because you fought the good fight of faith. And let God sort that out. But you fight the good fight of faith. As long as you have breath in your nostrils. I knew a brother in the Lord. He's an evangelist. Some of you might know him. Al Horta. Anybody remember Al Horta? Al had, a, had cancer in the brain. And they told him, you're probably not going to make it. And he said, well, I'm standing against this. And I'm believing the word of God. Of course, the doctors are like, oh, another faith guy. And... Um, he literally spoke the Word of God over him, laying hands on his head literally day and night, all night, all day. You would have thought he was a kook. And guess what? He's alive. And his attitude was, well, if I didn't make it, I did my best. I have nothing to be ashamed of. I did my best. But I'm going to make it. And he did. And the doctors were like, wow, you're a rare one that you survived. Look at our treatments. Look at the Lord. Look at the Lord. But he was outrageously, fanatically, I'm not bending one inch from day one. Al is somebody to admire. He's a true man of faith. And uh, absolutely amazing. And he had a distorted, I don't know if you remember what Al looked like, a distorted eye or part of his head after all was said and done. That has actually shrunk and gone down somewhat. Those who know, remember what Al looks like. That has actually started to shrunk, shrink over the years. How about that? How about that? I remember a brother in the Lord I had met many years back, Bible teacher for decades and decades. He was in his 70s, and he would be up there reading from his notes, had this big magnifying glass. He goes, hey, don't laugh at my magnifying glass. He said, I've worn glasses all my life and believing for my eyes to be healed. I don't wear glasses anymore. Now I just need this to read. Wow. Wow. 40 years of talking to his eyes, you're normal. You have normal vision. It was a big deal to him. And sure enough, he got to a point where he didn't need the glasses anymore, just the magnifying glass. Wow. Wow. Through faith and patience, we inherit the promises. So as we uh, close tonight in prayer, um, what are you fighting for? All right, now just about everyone you meet has battles that they're coming against. I would encourage you tonight, you evaluate, are you doing the good fight of faith? Are you living this out? If not, you need to put these steps in motions because I'm here to tell you there is no plan B. Can God move sovereignly? Absolutely. You could die first because you have no control over the sovereign move of God. You have no control. He moves sovereignly, it's sovereignly. You can even be in unbelief and get healed. Amazing. Amazing. That's the sovereign act of God, which we have no control over. He does that. But it's like, well, how do you want to earn a living? I'm going to win the lottery. You could probably go broke first before that ever happens. 
maybe you should get a job and learn to manage your money and save it. Huh? Isn't that the normal way to live? The normal way we live is that uh, faith receives the grace and promises of God's Word, and we would love and expect the sovereign moves of God. Amen? But we live a life of faith. There is no plan B. And you know, I realize most will never really apply this until they're in a crisis and then it comes too late because it's harder. You know, there used to be a saying that, uh, you know, uh, I think it came from Kenneth Copeland. Um, if someone tries to break into your house and you're not in any, and you want to physically throw him out, where's my barbells? I got to pick them up and get ready. It's too late. But if you had been lifting those barbells for months and months and years before that, I don't think you'd have a problem throwing them out because <laughs> you were ready when he came. The point is, we the best time to believe God for health, finances, relationships is when everything's fine. That's the best time to be believing God for that the promises overtake me. They overwhelm me. His goodness overwhelms me. Every day, believing the Lord for His victory to manifest in our days. Because too often people are finding themselves in a crisis and the bottom falls out for them. And they find out what very little they really have built in themselves that's of the Word of God. Doesn't mean they're not believers. Doesn't mean God doesn't love them. Doesn't mean they can't find victory. But it's a lot harder. Because now your soul's upside down in an uproar. We need to be a people of faith. And who knows how many wild darts of the enemy you have then warded off that never came your way because you are a strong house of the Lord inside. And of course, if you believe that, what are you teaching your children? What are you teaching your grandchildren? God forbid we don't do the same for them and raise a whole generation that doesn't know the Lord. I'm not saying they're not born again, but doesn't know the ways of the Lord. How very sad. I don't know if you ever remember or heard the name of Billy Sunday. Anybody know who that guy is? Turn of the century, he was a professional baseball player, became an evangelist. I think he was the first to lead a million people to Christ. When his ministry ended, basically Billy Graham's ministry started. Uh, a very unusual man, an evangelist. Uh, his wife, his widow, when she was in her 80s, had spoken to a convention of ministers, and she had tears in her eyes, and she said, my husband led more than a million people to Christ, and we have seven children, and not one of them know the Lord. He neglected his own household. That's wonderful you led over a million to Christ. You lost your own family in the process. And that was basically her cry and plea to these ministers, don't lose your families. Don't be so um, about the business of ministry that one of your most important ministries, your own children, are neglected. So when we speak this kind of stuff, what are we teaching our children? Are we teaching them to war with the Word of God? Are we teaching them to stand on God's Word so that when they're adults, they don't need to cling to mommy and daddy because they don't know how to stand for God for themselves? There's a lot here. There is no plan B. We have to be men and women of faith, and we need to encourage one another. None of us have arrived. And we need to teach the next generation to be, to be men and women of God. Not just, oh, they receive Christ. Isn't that nice? If that's all, there's a wicked one out there real quick to pull them away.
How true. Let's pray. Father God, may your words tonight, Father, not mine, your words tonight, Father, sink deeply into the hearts of everyone here, physically, that is in this building, listening uh, online, who would maybe re-listen to this as podcasts. That, Father God, your word would bring change in our lives. Your word would make us men and women of faith. Your words would make us men and women who know how to find victory and how to get victory for other people and how to get victory for our families for generations to come. May we be, Father God, the normal Christian, not the average one. May we be, Father God, men and women who know how to use your word. And as long as we are in this body, fight the good fight of faith. We thank you, Lord God, for Holy Spirit to bring this back to our memory in these days ahead. And that, Lord God, we would be used of you in our generation as shining lights, as your word tells us, in the midst of a a perverse and wicked generation. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you for the encouragement of that, Lord. You've shown us all. You've given us your will made known to us. May we treat that as greatest treasure that we could possibly have in our hands on this earth. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.